Okay. Father, tonight we pray for the Word, that uh, Your Word will do its work. We know that the Word is able. <clears throat> we understand that that uh, we're very limited in what we can do or, or uh, what we can even understand. But we know that You know it all. Your Word has power. It is able. And so tonight we just release supernatural ability from the Word as, as we look at it tonight. Father, I pray that our eyes be focused on You, our spiritual eyes, that we see what You would have us to see and that we respond as You would have us to respond. So, Father, we just want to give You praise. We want to give You honor tonight. We give You thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. I I uh, <clears throat> had one thing planned, and then I felt like the Lord told me to do something totally different today. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, he told me yesterday. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Let um, me feel like you've been under attack. Well, I might be on the right track then. Um, how many How many feel like that? Uh, been a lot of trouble. Just, just if you're under attack, you feel like you're, there's a lot of trouble. Yes, uh, and I, I understand that. Uh, so I want to talk about a couple of things tonight, and uh, we want to look at, at some things. Um, you know, the world is changing. It's changing. There are a lot of things I don't like, a lot of things I do like about the changes, uh, but it's changing. I, I thought today that this iPad that I have in my hand has way, way more memory, at least 8, maybe 10, 12 times more memory uh, and a more advanced processor than the Apollo 11 had when it went, that, that guidance computer that took, the, took them to the moon the first time. In my hand, I have that much. I mean, I, mean, I remember growing up with three TV channels. And, and all, most of you do too. I mean, we had three channels and, and, and we were the remote. That's right, that's right. And we... You know, we got the foil on the antennas, and we were trying to make it work, and and all of that. And and I remember when Tammy and I got married, uh, they finally had cable, and I remember we had like 30 channels, and some of them were like from Dallas. It was just amazing that we had that much TV. And of course today, Lord have mercy. I mean, you know, I don't know if you have any kind of a satellite dish or or cable or any of those things, but just think, I mean, last time, we, we, we haven't had it in a long time, but we realized one day we had like 400, 500 channels, and we watched two or three. Yeah. And uh, so it just, we, we, it wasn't worth it. We had all that. I mean, it just changes all the time. And now, you don't even need cable. Now you can just stream things off of uh, Hulu or, or all those things. And, you know, you just have all, all that access to all those things. I mean, my kids... Uh, they've been at my house, and so we have all of it because they put it on my TV so they can watch their shows. And so we have Disney Plus, and we have, uh, you know, all the things that, that, that they watch. And so you know, we, we have stuff we don't even ever look at, Prime Video and, and those types of things. We just watch our uh, two or three shows still. That's what we do. We still, our cars, I mean, our cars are equipped with very powerful computers that will direct us to the nearest Chinese restaurant, or to our cousin's house on the East Coast. I mean, we can it just that computer will take take us anywhere. I mean, we we can find that. It's 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 as easy to find tonight a a the the score of the rugby match in Sydney, Australia, as it is to find the score of the basketball game you're watching on television. 
I mean, it's amazing how quick the information comes. There's, you don't have to have disagreements anymore with your wife. Isn't that awesome? You sit at the, at the restaurant, and then you have a disagreement about a fact, and she pulls out the phone, and she lets you know pretty darn fast that, that, you, that, that you were wrong. And that, and that now, and that you just need to get over it because you lost. And so, you know, <laughs> I mean, I remember playing out. I remember playing outside, and I was three or four years old. We'd go outside in the summertime, and we'd play outside all day, every day. Went up and down the street, did whatever we what we played. There was no concern about somebody carrying us off. My mom always thought, well, nobody wants them, so just let them be out there. And, uh, you know, if you, if, if you did bad while you're outside, uh, your neighbor could spank you as well as your own parent. I mean, it was not a big deal. If you misbehaved, they were just going to take care of it. Uh, that's, that's just the way it was. I mean, uh, today what you find is you can find all the sex offenders on your street by going to the Internet and finding out who all of them are. Uh, it's just now that's not a good change. That's not good at all. I mean, I remember we had cigarette commercials, and you can probably still sing the songs if we started talking about it because if we started to say Winston tastes good like uh, you know it's like a cigarette should and everybody knows that because we grew up with that over and over because that's the way it works when you meditate on things it just gets there and it stays there I mean we had cigarette commercials that we didn't have any seat belts in our cars I mean it, it just was a whole different world you know and I mean uh, oh all the time rode the back of the pickups oh man yeah I drank out of the water. Oh, that was yeah, that was just normal. We drank out of the water hose all the time. We didn't go to restaurants. They didn't have any restaurants. In fact, I mean, they had a few, but you know, only rich people go to restaurants. And and when you're raised white trash, you don't get to go to those very much. <laughs> and so, and there certainly weren't any fast food restaurants. I mean, they didn't have that at all. And and uh, I mean, they had no way to make it fast, you know. And and so, Dairy Queen, yeah, every small town Dairy Queen took over. And so. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Everybody, everybody looked, and so if you heard somebody whistle, you looked up because somebody's dad was calling, and so you know, and and so uh, it, it was amazing. We had to wait until we got home to make a phone call. It was unbelievable. We, we had, uh, I was, you're, you're you're older than me. We never had a party line, but you know, yeah, I I, I remember I've heard of those. I've watched I've watched I've watched Andy Griffith. I know how that works. Um, but but you know it was just it was just you, you you had to read a map you you couldn't you couldn't just ask Siri how to get there you you had to read a map you had to know how to I remember Tammy and I going on vacations when we were young not many times we didn't have a lot of money but we had an atlas that the insurance company gave to us yeah. and so she was always looking at the atlas so we'd know where where we were supposed to go and so you know I mean things have changed things have changed everywhere. And some for good, some for bad, but they've changed. Uh, you know, some aren't good, but, you know, there's some good changes. And, and even though they're good, they can get out of hand. I mean, a, a cell phone is a good thing, I think. But not when a young man who's tempted to look at pornography has his phone. He can get on the Internet anywhere he wants to, and he can view that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, so there's some things that are bad. Uh, you know, I'm happy most of the time. I love, I love the computer. I love the internet. It makes, it makes preparing a sermon way faster. You know, back in the day when I prepared a sermon, I had, I had my Strong's concordance here. I had my Young's concordance here, and I had to write stuff down. And, and, uh, you know, all the sermons were handwritten. And, uh, you know, and so it, it was just, it, it, it's easier today. First time I wrote a, 
a sermon using a computer, I could not believe it. I felt convicted <laughs> because it was too easy. And so, you know, I just I could just type it in and print it out, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. We didn't have iPads in those days either. But, you know, I mean, it's like I heard about these boys that were in the attic, and they were, they were helping their mom clean up, and they're cleaning up in the attic, and, and they got up there, and they found this, this box. They opened it up, and there was this gadget in there. And they said, Mom, wh- what is this? And she said, well, that's a typewriter. And they said, well, what does it do? And she said, well, just a minute. So she goes downstairs and she gets a sheet of paper and she brings it back up. And she rolls it in there and she starts typing letters on the page. And they're like, wow, that is amazing. <clears throat> they said, where does it plug in? And she goes, well, it, it doesn't plug in. It doesn't plug in anywhere. Well, where's the battery? <laughs> and she said, she said, well, th- there's no battery. You just put the paper in, you start typing, and it works. And the kid, one of the boys looks at her and says, man, they should have invented this a long time ago. <laughs> you know, so not, every, not everything is that good. But, but even though everything changes and things change all the time, God's Word stays the same. It doesn't change. It doesn't change. We can trust in the word in times of trouble we can trust in what he said we can trust in the word i mean it's still the answer to life isaiah 40 verse 8 first picture we ever had somebody gave us for our wedding present it had this scripture on it. it says the grass withereth the flower fadeth but the word of our god shall stand forever the word is forever jesus is the same yesterday today and forever the Father is the same. His Word is the same. The same Word still produces the same results if we'll believe it the way we're supposed to believe it. The Word works. The same Word is alive and it's powerful. It'll produce itself if it's activated by faith. It has always been that way. It always will be that way. We need to connect with that. I mean, but there's this other thing that's the same. And that is... The devil still attacks the same way. He still wants to steal, to kill, and destroy. He still attacks us. He, listen, I don't know if you realize this or not, but he's not changed at all in the way he attacks people. I mean, just think about it. In the Garden of Eden, Eve was there, and the snake came up to her. Now, isn't it interesting? The devil did not come dressed in red with a pitchfork and have horns. He dressed like a little friendly snake because all the snakes were friendly in those days. And she wasn't even surprised that the snake could talk to her. Now that would have been the most amazing part to me if, you know, it's, I mean, we have Mr. Ed that we can think back to, but, but the, we, I never thought a talking snake and this snake talked to her. What was he doing, do you think? He, he obviously was tempting her, but how was he trying to tempt her? He began, he went this way. He said, hath God said, what was he doing? He was planting a thought in her mind. I don't know if you realize it or not, that's the attack of the devil. The thoughts that he brings to our minds. And what we do with the thoughts determines what happens next. I mean, the devil has been reading human nature for almost 7,000 years. He knows how it works. 
He's been, he, he said, he's had his little demon cohorts, cohorts assigned to you, and they report and tell him exactly how you're going to respond when it's this way and that way. They know. And the way to get there is through your mind. If he can get your mind, I mean, you know, Tammy burns the toast. She doesn't burn the toast. But if she burns the toast, that thought comes. And, and I'm like, that thought is, she always burns the toast. Now, why would you take that thought? Number one, it's not true. But if you take the thought, what's the goal of that thought? To bring division between she and I. And the first time I might not take it, but I might take it the fifth time, the 20th time. So I've got to stop it right now. There's the attack. That's where the warfare is fought, is in this battlefield of my mind. And if I continue to think that thought, she burns a toast, she burns a toast, and, and, and she never irons my shirts. I've got to take them to the cleaners. And all of a sudden, you can get a whole, a whole train of thought that can be destructive. The same is true when, in whatever we're doing. We have to learn how. What Eve should have done was what? She should have resisted the devil. If you resist the devil, what does the Bible say? It says he will flee from you. He will run from you. How do you resist the devil, do you think? You can't just say, well, devil, now, I have a king's ex this time. You know, here's the cross. I have a king's ex. You can't bother me. Well, I'm going to tell you, he won't fall for that. The only way to resist the devil is with your words coming out of your mouth, the words that come out of your mouth that you believe with all of your heart that agree with the word of God, that's how you resist the devil. And that's how he's going to flee from you. We're, we're, there's a fight going on for your thoughts every single day, especially when we're in times of trouble. I mean, it's tough when you have trouble. That's when your thoughts go to all these other things. But that same word will still cause the devil to flee and still bring victory in your life. John 16.33, Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There's going to be trouble. That's what he said. There will be times of tribulation. He didn't say might. He said there will be tribulation. In the world, there is tribulation. There's trouble. The word tribulation literally in the Greek means a situation so difficult that it causes one to feel stressed, squeezed, pressured, or crushed. Anybody have any of those things? Stressed, pressured, squeezed, crushed. The word can be translated to stress, affliction, trouble, and it talks about an intensity that's almost unbearable in the natural. Man, that's, that, that's not a good place to be. He, but Jesus said, you'll have that, but be of good cheer. The phrase good cheer means to be courageous. It means don't be afraid and take heart. He said, because I have overcome the world. The, a word for, the word for overcome in the Greek is nikos, and it means victory. It's, it's in the grammar of the way it's put in that verse, it's not about a single victory, but a continuous and abiding victory. Jesus said, I have overcome the world, I'm still overcoming the world, and I will always be in an overcoming position over the world. That's who Jesus is. 
He said, so have courage. I've done that. The word for world is a word that is always used to depict the arena where Satan attempts to wield his influence. Okay, it's not talking about the planet. It's talking about where he wields his influence. The word describes the human systems of the world. Satan in those human systems is trying to bring this, 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 this uh, tribulation to us. Jesus overcame, is overcoming. He will overcome everything the devil and man's system attempts against the word of God. That's what the devil wants. That's why he began with this thought. Does the word really work? Did God really say it? You see, we've gotten too far down the road here where we've been, we've been taught only a theologian can understand the Bible. That is a lie from the devil. Because God is not that complicated in what he says. We can all understand what he says. He's used it from the very beginning. He wants to discredit the Word of God because he understands that if he can get you to doubt the Word, if he can get you to back away from what God said, even a half a step, he knows that he can convince you more and more that you will walk away from the Word, you'll believe the circumstance more than you believe the Word of God. And now he can get what he wants out of you. And you can't fulfill his promise. You can't fulfill God's call in your life. Jesus and his Word are unstoppable when faith is employed in them. Always. Let me read that verse from the Amplified. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you'll have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident. Confident, certain, undaunted. For I've overcome the world. I've deprived it of the power to harm you and have conquered it for you. That's a pretty good verse. I like the Amplified in many of those many of those types of verses. So here's my question as we go: How do you handle adversity? See, I believe that 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 uh, many Christians, when adversity comes, they give up. I might even say majority of Christians, because when adversity comes, they give up. On God, give up on the promise, give up on the word, because it doesn't seem like it's working. Okay, the devil's main ploy is to get you to give up. That's what he wants you to do. Give up on the promise, give up on the word. There's so much wrong teaching in in in, in the church about trouble. When people have trouble, some I've been in church before, and, and people had trouble, and they said things like this: "Well, you just don't have enough faith." That's another lie. That's, the Bible doesn't teach that. Trouble comes to everybody no matter how much faith they have. I mean, what about the Apostle Paul? He seemed to have some trouble in his ministry. And I believe he was a man of, of tremendous faith. Jesus had some trouble in his ministry. Trouble came. A lack of faith is not a reason for trouble. I've heard, I've heard, heard him say, say things like this. Well, God must be punishing you. That is from hell. Let me just say that right now. The Bible says we are not appointed unto wrath. Okay, now, there, there is the, the Lord will, there is the chastening of the Lord. Okay, that doesn't, that's not, that's not from trouble. He chastens us by his spirit and by his word. He's not going to break your foot to teach you a lesson. That would be child abuse. 
Okay, he's not going to give you a car wreck to teach you a lesson. That would be child abuse. All right? Or this is one that, 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 that I remember when I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, something bad happened. I, remember, I don't remember what it was. And I remember one of, my, one of my contemporaries looked at me and says, Well, it's because you did something and you let the devil in. Where did you let the devil in? And so I spent the rest of that evening in condemnation trying to figure out where the devil got in. But trouble. Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. In the, when they were in the storm at sea, Jesus and his disciples, and, and Jesus calmed the storm. He looked at those guys and he said to them, where is your faith? Because he intended for them to calm the storm at sea. Where is your faith? He wasn't bothered because there was a storm. He wasn't trying to find out, well, why did the storm come? He wasn't, okay, let's, let's sit down and let's have a group meeting and find out why did the storm come. Jesus wasn't going to waste his time with that. The question was, where is your faith? And let's stop the storm. He intended for them to stop it. It was about the storm, not about, not about how it happened. Many think that with Jesus, everything ought to be easy. I used to think that when I first got filled with the Holy Spirit, they just said, you just need Jesus and you need to get filled with the Spirit and everything will be all right. Well, it wasn't all right. It was all right for about three weeks and then the emotion ran out and it wasn't all right. There were still problems. There were still things going on. It doesn't have to be easy. Okay, it's, it's, it doesn't, it's not because it's easy. And people think that. He, Jesus didn't say it would be easy. He said all things are possible, not all things are easy. He said, there would be trouble. What we need to do, what we need to know how to do is handle, how do we handle trouble? The f- purpose of faith is not to avoid storms. The purpose of faith is to get through the storm, to get to the place God has called us to, to get God what he wants out of the deal. Okay? Christianity is, if, if we have this idea that Christianity is, is all about God doing for me what I need to have him do, and it's supposed to be easy, then we've not read the New Testament. That's not what God, now God does great and wonderful things. I'm not, you know, I think if we went around this room tonight and we could count blessings with, with one another, we'd have a ton of stuff to talk about. Right? But it doesn't mean we haven't gone through some tough things. And it doesn't mean that we're through having to exercise faith in storms. So as to get where we're supposed to be. I love Psalm 138 verse 7. It says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Maybe that's how revival needs to come. Walking in the midst of trouble. said, Thou wilt stretch your hand forth, I will stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. We can have revival. Now, I'll read you another verse of Scripture. I'll read you a verse out of Job chapter 34, verse 20. Job 34 is probably most people's, well, other than Leviticus maybe, is most people's least favorite book in the whole Bible. Um, that's what you hear. This is spoken by Elihu. You know who Elihu is in this book? There, there are these three guys that are Job's friends that are all messed up, and then Elihu's a younger guy, and he listens to the whole mess that these guys are talking about. Job's saying that he's righteous and God is wrong, and these guys are saying, no, this happened to you because you're a sinner and you just need to repent. And, and all, so all this is going on. Well, Elihu is this guy who God speaks through. So he, he, in, in his part of his speech, he says, this is one verse, Elihu, this is Job chapter 34, verse 20. It says, in a moment shall they die, 
and the people shall be troubled at midnight and pass away, and the mighty shall be taken away without hand. Now that is a pretty bleak verse, isn't it? He said, he said, trouble will come at midnight. At midnight, trouble will come. All right. By the way, if you've ever read the book of Job, I, I, I'm sure you have. When you read the book of Job, when he gets to, when we get to the very end of the book, because Job spends his whole time saying, if I could just talk to God, and if I could just ask him my question, and he had to answer me, he could tell me, he would tell me for sure that I wasn't wrong. And the whole book goes on, and God finally says, who are you to question me? At the end of the book, God never answered his question. Not one time. Because you know what? God is God. He's the one. And we can see from, from the book of Job, there are some reasons why things happen to him. But God is not answering to us tonight. We're answering to him. Trouble comes. The question is not, why? Why did this happen to me? Why? That's not the question. The statement is, I believe you. I will continue to believe you, no matter what. So, my question now is, have you ever experienced what that verse calls a midnight? It's dark. I know you all experiencing one right now. It's a midnight time. Midnight comes from two words. Mid, which means the middle. And night, which means a twist away of the light. Night or adversity. Midnight means the middle of the light being taken away, being dark. Everything's dark. You can't seem to find the way. Midnight is the middle of adversity. What happens at midnight? Here in Job, it says at midnight there's trouble, there's death, there's loss of strength. At this point, most people would quit and not want to go forward. Must not be God's will because all this happened to me. Must be God's will to punish me, so I just need to lose and quit. And they quit pressing for the prize. Sadly, I know people that they went through a hard time and they quit for good serving God. They never went back, blamed God for something. And that's what Job was trying to do. But in the middle of this adversity, many get this attitude of, well, what's the use? I mean, this trouble happens. So, there's a myth about midnight. They're talking about midnight. There's trouble. There's death. There's loss. And, you know, um, the, the devil gets to win. And at midnight, the enemy gets his way because it's dark. And, and he can do what he wants to do. And, and so what I want us to do tonight is look for a minute at how to deal with midnight experiences. It will take longer than a minute. I'm sorry I said it that way. I know this. You're either in a midnight experience or you will be. And for sure you have been. Because there will be tribulation. So we got to find out the purpose of the midnights. And, 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 and we, we need to follow God's plan and take God's strategies. So we got to find a scriptural path. So here's what I found in scripture. Here's some things that happen at midnight. First thing that I found that happens at midnight. Exodus chapter 11 verse 4. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord about midnight. I will go out in the midst of Egypt. You know what that's about, right? That's the Passover, when the death angel came over. And that death angel came over at midnight. And ye shall take, this is in Exodus 11:22 or 12:22. it says, And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that's in the basin and strike the lintel and the side posts with the blood that's in the basin and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. 
So at midnight, the death angel came over. But what did they have to do? They, their job was to apply the blood of the lamb to their house. If we're in a midnight experience, the very first thing we need to do is begin to apply the blood. Apply the blood. You need to begin to apply the blood. Now, we're going to say, how do we do that? Before I say that, let me just say this. There's one line the devil can't cross over, and it's the bloodline. He can never cross over the bloodline. If believers would learn how to apply the blood of Jesus, the devil can't cross it. He can cross lots of other ones, but we must stand on the covenant. We must not quit. The devil cannot stand the blood. He cannot stand it. I learned a lesson when I was newly baptized in the Spirit, and I probably have told you this story, but our favorite thing in the world to do was to cast out demons. We thought that was what we were just created to do. So we went to Denny's every Saturday, well, Friday, Saturday morning at 2 a.m., and we'd find drunk people and get them to get in the car and go to the church with us. Well, that's when they went to the bar, went to, went to Denny's is because it was the bars had closed. And we'd get them and we'd take them to the church and we'd cast the devil out of people. Now, we're all 18, 20 years old, and we and we just listened to this series of tapes by a guy named Derek Prince, and it was called How to Cast Out Demons. And so we just decided that we were demon experts. And so we'd take them in there. And I remember one night we were casting the devil out of this lady, and I mean, we just, we, we there's like five of us. We're working, we're trying to get the devil, and it just would not come out of there. I mean, we're, we just couldn't get this demon out. We loved, we loved the manifestations. That was like the best part of the whole deal. So this lady, is, she's talking like there's a man inside of her. And he was telling us that he wasn't coming out, that he didn't have to come out. And so we're, we're trying, how, you know, we're praying tongues. We're trying to get this devil out of her. And so finally, one of the guys says, one of the guys says, hey, all right, devil, we're just going to take communion right now. And the devil's like, go ahead. Anyway, so we eat the bread, and, and then we started, we started drinking. We, start, we only had water, so we said, we're, this is the blood of Jesus. And I remember, all of a sudden, I got this idea, and I said, okay, devil, I want you to know something. This is the blood of Jesus, and I am going to apply the blood of Jesus to this lady, and you're coming out. And I remember I put my finger in the water, and I put that water on her forehead, and that demon screamed and came out of there. Now, I'm not telling you that's the scriptural way to cast out a devil. But I'm telling you the devil can't cross the bloodline. He can't do it. We have to apply the blood. When we're at midnight, we apply the blood. How do we do that? We apply the blood with the hyssop of our tongue. What do I mean by that? The book of Revelation 12:11 says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony. What was the word of their testimony? The word of their testimony was, that's actually talking about the word of their testimony was testifying about what the blood had done. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about all the rough things they went through. It's talking about the, the testimony of what the blood had done. They overcame him with that word. We need to, at, when it's dark and midnight, we need to go and find out what does the Bible say about the blood. What does it say about the blood? You know, the Bible says that we've been redeemed by precious blood. The Bible says that we've been sanctified by the blood. The Bible says that, that, we, that, we, have been, that we have been made covenant partners with God by the blood. 
We need to begin to sanctify our house, sanctify our dwelling, sanctify our lives with the words of our mouth, speaking the word of God regarding the blood and what it's done in our lives. That's when you break out the Baptist hymnal and start singing about, about there's power in the blood. That's, that's not a scripture, by the way, but, but that's, it's a good song. Or, you know, that song, Oh, the Blood of Jesus. Begin to focus on what the blood has done. I mean, at the midnight hour, it's time to get serious and apply the blood. I've well, got lots more to go here, but I won't get to all of them, I don't think. So, so we, we, need, we need to apply the blood at midnight. I like this. Here's another thing that happens at midnight. Ruth chapter 3 verse 8. And it came to pass at midnight. You remember the story of Ruth. How that she and her mother-in-law came back to, to Israel. And she said, I'll stay with you forever. But they didn't have any money. They didn't have a man. They didn't have, there was one guy. His name was Boaz. And he was, her, he was the kinsman redeemer for, for Boaz's husband. And he was supposed to be the one who would redeem the daughter-in-law. It says that, and, and it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid. And turned him, turn himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Her mother-in-law, Ruth's mother-in-law, told her, said, here's, here's one guy that's your kinsman redeemer. They're harvesting the grain tonight. If you'll go into the barn, he's, they're all sleeping in the barn. If you go in the barn, sneak in there, and you lay on his feet. You lay at his feet. And when he wakes up and finds you at his feet, he'll know what to do. Well, he was the kinsman redeemer. And he saw that she was faithful. He saw that, that she was beautiful. He was much older than her. But she went and she laid at his feet. This is an example of our kinsman redeemer, who is Jesus of Nazareth. And she got at his feet. He got up and he invoked Jewish law and he became the husband to her and delivered her out of poverty, delivered her out of the state that she was in. And he, he was that. She took a risk. She came at midnight when her dreams seemed to be dead. Her only hope was Boaz. And so at midnight, she laid at his feet. At midnight, the answer we need to find is the feet of Jesus. We need to know that he's our kinsman, kinsman redeemer. What's, what's out there and working, we have no other hope. We've got to get to Jesus' feet. We need to get closer to Jesus than ever before at midnight. Because there's deliverance when we come to Jesus. You know, I think many of us, we, we just need to have a time once again where we are absolutely head over heels in love with Jesus. I know we love him. I know we love him. But we need to come to this place where he becomes the everything that he needs to be. At midnight, we've got to apply the blood. We've got to press into Jesus. Psalm 119.62 says, At midnight I will rise and give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. At midnight we need to give thanks. I mean, we need to, we need to know that, that if we'll just give it to him, he can take care of it. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and by him all things consist. It's all held together by him. We need to learn how to give thanks to him in the middle of what we're going through. I thought about you guys this week. One day this precious lady in our church, uh, she needed a heart transplant. And... Uh, she wasn't. She, they couldn't get to her quick enough to get her on the list, and so one one afternoon they called me from that from their house, and and the, the husband said said she just passed away. So Tammy and I went to their house. This is before the ambulance got there. This is before anyone else got there. We walked in the room, and her son was 18 at the time. Do you think? 17. Big big old guy, and uh, he was on his knees by his mom, and he was. He was crying because his mom just passed away. I'll never forget. 
just as we walked in the room, he stood up on his feet and began to praise the Lord. And I'm telling you, the spirit of, of depression, the spirit of, of death, this, all that stuff left that room because that young man of his own accord just began to worship God. We need at midnight, we need to thank God. The Bible says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If we don't know the will of God, we give thanks. That's always the will of God. Always. Not for all things. In all things. Because he knows what to do. We need to know at midnight we give thanks. At midnight we apply the blood. At midnight we press into Jesus. Uh, at midnight we, we do all those things. Here's the last last one here. Uh, let me skip that. Well, no, I won't. I mean, I'm just going to tell you what these others are. I'm not going to read the scriptures here. At midnight we give thanks. At midnight we stay filled with the Holy Spirit. And my scripture reference there was about about uh, the the the, um, the foolish virgins who didn't take enough oil, the ones who took the oil. The groom came at midnight, and they were filled. We need to be being filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to stay full. At midnight we pray. Uh, you know, it talks in in, in Luke. Um, the Bible talks about that, it, that he was praying in a certain place and the disciples came and said, teach us to pray. And he taught them about, in Luke, he, 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 talked, he taught them the disciples' prayer, but then he talked about a widow who needed, he said, you have, not a widow, but, but you have a, a neighbor and your friends come, you don't have enough bread, so you go to your neighbor and you say, can you give me some bread? And the neighbor says, no, I'm in bed, I got my kids here, we're all in bed. And he says, and he, and he says no, but he says, but then if you just keep asking him, just keep asking him, keep asking him, then he'll get up and give you the bread. And the verse after that, it talks about, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be opened to you. So we've got to pray. We've got to pray fervently when things aren't going well, when it's midnight time. And then I was going to talk about that we just keep speaking and preaching the word all the time. It talks about Paul. He preached the word till midnight. The kid fell out of the window. They, he went downstairs, raised him from the dead. They brought him back up, and he just kept preaching the word all night long. We've got to speak the word constantly. We've got to stay after it. We can't, we, can't, we can't decide, well, it's too late now. No, we stay with what God says. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God isn't going to forget his word. We continue that. We continue to do that. Preaching the word, speaking the word. And so we understand those things. So let me just say one more thing here. I'm going to tell you one, a fun, a great story. Well, let me tell you three things before I tell you that. What time is it? People think that the midnight is the time when the devil is the one in charge. He doesn't have to be. The story of Samson when he was in, 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 the, in the city and they found, he found out they were going to try to kill him. The Bible says at midnight he arose took the doors of the gates of the city off and was delivered at midnight. The bridegroom comes at midnight. And here's one a great story. Acts chapter 16, verse 23 says, And when they laid many stripes upon them, talking about Paul and Silas, preaching, uh, and they cast him into prison. They cast him in prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, this is how we act, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God 
and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Paul and Silas, they're here at Philippi. They're in jail because they cast the devil out of a little girl. And the people who, who owned the girl didn't like that. They put them in prison, and they're hanging, they're hanging on the wall. And at midnight, the darkest time of the night, they began to pray. They began to sing hymns. Everybody heard them. And, and, and so here they are. They did it loudly at midnight. This is what I kind of think happens. I kind of think they're hanging on that prison wall. Paul, remember before they went to, to Philippi, they heard the Holy Spirit. He had a vision that they needed to go to Macedonia. And that's where Philippi is. They had a vision. I believe in Paul's vision, he saw a face of a man that was saying, come. I think while they're hanging on this wall, Paul has seen the face of the man. I believe it was the jailer. I believe he knew that's why they were there. He understood they came to Macedonia for that guy. So they're on, the, they're on, the, they're hanging on the wall, and they're singing. And I think they're, in, they're up in heaven. I mean, up in heaven, God and Jesus are looking down at Paul, and they're singing. I think God just starts tapping his foot a little bit. That's good. That's good. That's good. I think as he tapped his foot, you know, the Bible says, heaven is his throne, and the earth is his footstool. I think he's tapping his foot, and all of a sudden, the footstool begins to shake a little bit. And I think because they were praising God at midnight, the shackles fell off of them. And they were able to take the gospel to that man and to, be, and to begin that church in Philippi because they did what God told them to do. At midnight, the doors were opened. See, we can't miss out on our midnights. We've got to understand that God, God knows, knows what's going on. And our obligation is not to give up on God, but to stay true to Him in all the trouble. And we can rejoice at midnight. And I'm going to close with a true story. This is what I, I found. this is a true story. So several years ago, many years ago, it was a cold February night, and a limousine was in New Jersey. You may have heard this before. It was traveling down an expressway in New Jersey. It got a flat tire, and so the limo driver gets out to change the tire to discover that found out the spare was flat. So before he could summon the road service, a man in a pickup stopped by by there and offered help. So among the equipment on his truck was an air compressor. So the man and the driver. Uh, aired up the tire, and they finished that up, and they got it so that so they could go home. And so as the man was getting ready to go back to his pickup, he walked beside the, the limousine, and the person in the back seat rolls the window down, and it was Donald Trump. This is a true story. And Donald Trump looks at the guy, and he says, that is very nice that you would help us on a cold and rainy night. And the man said, I, just, I'm, I'm glad I could do it. And, but Donald Trump said, no, no. He said, what can I do for you? Is there something I can do for you? And the man said, well, you know, um, Valentine's Day is in a couple of days. My wife would love it if she got a dozen roses from Donald Trump. And Donald Trump said, okay. So they, they leave. And so on Valentine's Day, a box came to their house with, with a dozen roses and a note inside it. All right. And so it said this. It says, happy Valentine's Day from your husband. Signed, Donald Trump. P.S. Thanks for helping us out. By the way, I paid off your mortgage. True story. Well, we have a better friend than Donald Trump. We have the one that can take us through the midnights, can take us to places we're supposed to be. 
I mean, it just gives you a smile to think about. This guy paying off their house. Of course, then he became the president. But just to think about it. But if we can think about all that Jesus has done for us, what has he done? Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I mean, we're going to heaven when we die. We're going to spend eternity with him forever and ever and ever. That ought to put a smile on our face. No matter what we're going through right now, it is very, very temporary. I mean, having your mortgage paid off is nothing compared to that mansion that they're making for you right now when you get to heaven. I mean, we should have a sense of relief, even in our troubled times, that God is on our side. And that he protects us and he will get us there. We need to apply the blood. We need to get at his feet, praise him, preach and stay with the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even in our most troubled times, that you're faithful to help us. That no matter how dark the midnight is, no matter what we are going through, we understand that you are still God. And no matter how dark it is, you are light. Your word is light. And we are to be the light of the world. Lord, we thank you tonight for your great mercy and your favor. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.